1: welcome to true crime garage wherever you are whatever you are doing thanks for listening i'm your host nick and with me as always sitting high atop the wall of sound here is the captain
2: yeah it's just me and phil Spector waving our guns around it's good to be seen good to see you thanks for listening thanks for telling
1: a friend Today, we are sipping on some Hop Slam from the Bells Brewery. Hop Slam is loaded with aromatic hops that make for a pungent blend of grapefruit, stone fruit, and floral notes. Hop Slam 2021 is 10% horsepower, so drink this one at home in your garage, and we think you'll love it just as much as we do. Garage grade, four and a half bottle caps out of five. And let's give some thanks and cheers to our good friends that helped us out with this week's beer run. First up, cheers to Sean in Ogden, Utah.
2: And a big we like your jib to Natasha in Laurel, Maryland.
1: Next up, Captain, we have a double cheers going out to Charm and Drew in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia oh and this is a real treat here captain Mm. next up we have one of your favorite cities go ahead and say it for everybody
2: here we go how excited can i be big shout out to stacy and flugerville texas (laughs) flugerville schnoogerville
1: next up captain we have jeslina in one of my favorite cities flagstaff Flagstaff, Arizona. And last but certainly not least, we have Hillary, who really loved our interview with FBI agent Jeff Reinick. Hillary is in Pitt Meadows, British Columbia. Everyone we just mentioned, well, they went to truecrimegarage.com and they clicked on the beer fund donation button. And for that, we thank
2: you. Really, that's the Flukerville of British Columbia. Yeah, thanks for donating and filling up the fridge in. If you'd like to support the show and get something in return, go to TrueCrimeGarage.com and click on our store page. We've got a bunch of goodies. We have some items that are going to be discontinued soon, so make sure you get on those. Yeah, so support the show and look fabulous doing it, and that is enough of the business.
1: Alright, everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some True Crime Tina Marie Harmon was a 12-year-old girl who was abducted, raped, and murdered. She was last seen on October 29, 1981, after being dropped off in front of a store to join some of her friends. After the discovery of her body, she was later buried at Maple Mound Cemetery. In 1982, Ernest Holbrook Jr. and Herman Ray Rucker were convicted of both the rape and murder of Tina Harmon. All right, but just like the great Lee Corso would say, captain, not so fast. Mm -hmm. That's right. Because after the trials, two of the four witnesses who helped to send both of these guys to get convictions, life sentences in prison, recanted their testimony, which ones. All right. So two of the four, and that does not really even begin to tell us about the trouble with one of the remaining witnesses who still stands by their testimony against Rucker. So I, I, w- I want to go through this one witness that's going to stand by her statements first, and then we'll we'll tell you which two dropped out. Remember Susan Sigler? She is the one that said, "Hey, Rucker confessed to me that the two of them killed this girl. After she refused their sexual advances or, or Rucker's sexual advances. Right. He even showed me a picture of Tina Harmon. And this took place, according to Susan Sigler, on October 30th, the day after Tina Harmon went missing. Now, at Rucker's trial, 10 people, 10 people testified that Sigler is a liar and that her testimony is not credible. Right. Right. Three witnesses called Sigler a storyteller eager for attention. This was the testimony of two former husbands and her aunt. So I get it. Maybe we got some angry old ex-husbands that are like, yeah, she's a liar. Don't believe her. But we have her aunt as well. A family member saying she's a storyteller eager for attention. We also have three West Salem police officers who testified that Sigler had a reputation for not telling the truth?
2: Police officers.
1: Police officers. Hmm. Ten people in total said the woman is a liar.
2: Right, but like we said in yesterday's episode, you throw out her. It, look, if I'm on the jury, okay, she's a liar, so now I don't buy her story. Maybe I don't buy the other eyewitnesses' story. The only story I have to buy is when Maynard says... These guys drove me to Tina's dead body and showed me the dead body. If I believe that with no physical evidence, they're guilty. You throw them in jail and throw away the key.
1: But a portion of his witness statement is the same as Susan Sigler's. Right. So I get what you're saying. Yes, Maynard's testimony is certainly the most damning of the four. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to believe Maynard, then you have to believe at least some of what Sigler's saying or all of it. Now I did want to read some of the testimony given at the trial. And again, this is from the 10 different people's perspectives. These are the 10 people that say, you cannot believe this witness, this, this Susan Sigler who seems to be at the center of, of these allegations against both of these men.
2: Yeah, they're saying she's a lying shit balloon. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. that sums it up nicely, but I do want to go through this. So, uh, number one, what is your opinion of Susan Sigler? This comes from Ivan Grubbs, says, quote, she won't tell the truth. This is all on the stand in front of the jury, mind you. Number two, what is Mrs. Sigler's reputation for telling the truth? This comes from the testimony of James Fitzsimmons, quote, not too good. <laughs> okay. Number three, What is Mrs. Sigler's reputation? This comes from Earl Conway. Quote, doesn't tell the truth. I would not believe her under oath. I would not believe her under anything. She has lied about me. She has accused me of being involved in this case with Tina Harmon. That, if you hear that on the stand. Yeah. Like, this woman that's accusing these other two guys, she's also accused me of being involved. And look, the state's not putting together a case against me. Number four, this comes from Andy Tambernan. said, quote, I don't like her very much. Never did. She lies. (laughs) Number five, from Mary Canfield, quote, everybody knows her. She never tells the truth, end quote.
2: This is also the same stuff that they're going to say at her eulogy. Uh, no, but going back to yesterday, again, you know, I, I called these guys, uh, goat turds or something like that. When have you ever seen a, a lineup shot or their mug shot? When yep. have you ever seen a lineup shot or a mug shot or two individuals that are at trial, but they look disheveled when, when do they not look guilty?
1: Right, right. That's <laughs> never.
2: I mean, it's just like if you look at, like, uh, Damien Eccles in West Memphis 3, and it's like, I mean, you can't polish that turd. Well, you know, he looks disheveled, and then you put a, a tie on him, he looks even more disheveled. And so you go, oh, okay, I can see how that individual would be guilty.
1: Well, and a lot of that comes from the preliminary or the uh, the arraignment process, where you see, okay, this guy was arrested yesterday, and now first thing in the morning the next day we bring him in front of the judge to explain you have to you have to tell them what you're charging them with why why you are holding them right and what they're going to be charged with they look disheveled because they spent the whole night in jail this right. was their first night in jail and they're usually wearing an orange or red jumpsuit and that's why with
2: handcuffs
1: Right. When it comes time for their actual trial, all right, let's let these guys shave, get a haircut, let them put on a suit if they want to wear a suit. Because if you marched every person out for their trial looking like that, I think you get a conviction 99% of the time.
2: Well, and what I'm saying is if you look at these court hearings, these guys are not dressed up in blazers. They didn't cut their hair. I mean, you'll see that from time to time where... The defense is going, hey, we got to clean you up. And it doesn't seem like they did that in this case. But that's also why uh, you have individuals like Scott Peterson that, you know, are kind of they seem more put together and people see images of that and go, well, that guy doesn't look like what we think a murderer would look like right or and what I, a crazy person and and the person would have to be crazy in order to do this horrible crime
1: well and i think we should point out in contrast to scott peterson someone who went to college played golf all the time i mean just those two things start to give you a little perspective of the person or at least of what he may appear to look like um these guys mind you this is more than twenty years earlier than, right. than Scott Peterson. These guys lived in small town Ohio. They were farmhands. They so they look like people that you would see working on the farm somewhere. And, to them. and their their version of my Sunday's best is not the same as Scott Peterson who wants to be on every expensive golf course in in California. Right. Now, remember, this is something that I know that our garage friends, our good garage listeners, they are super intelligent and they are very much dialed in. So I know they picked up on this at the end of yesterday's episode. Well,
2: they did a national poll, by the way, and uh, it's true that True Crime Garage listeners are the smartest of all true crime podcast listeners.
1: Right. So I know they picked up on this, but for the first time listeners, I want to make sure that I point this out. Remember Susan Sigler, the woman that's not to be believed. 10 people testified. Don't believe her. She's a liar and liar, liar, pants on fire. She testified that Rucker told her at her residence. Okay. At the place where she's living on October 30th, that he had killed a little girl, showed her a picture of the girl, and a showed her a necklace mm-hmm. that he took off of the victim. Remember, Curtis Maynard backed up her testimony. Well, first of all, we have the coroner's office who conducted the autopsy, and according to their findings, Tina was still alive at that time. Right. Their report was that she was killed between 24 and 36 hours before her body was found at 9 a.m. on November 2nd.
2: Story makes no sense.
1: Correct. So you, it, it just scientifically does not work. Now, let's add to that. Susan Sigler's landlord testified that Susan did not move into that location where she says Rucker confessed to her. Until the first week or so of November. Wow. So scientifically it doesn't match up and to the location cannot be correct because she was not residing there at that time. Then we have Ruth Courtright who stated that Rucker and Holbrook were at her house on the night of October 30th.
2: Right. So they couldn't be there to confess.
1: Right. Because they were with Ruth Cortwright. And she went on to say that. Tina Harmon was not at my house on October 30th. Right.
2: And they also have alibis. Let's remember they have alibis for around the time that the coroner thinks Tina was murdered.
1: Yeah. So we're going to extend that out a little bit. It doesn't, it doesn't in detail cover that exact 24 to 36 hour window, but it, but it kind of does. I, I'll, I'll, read to you what we have. Okay. So we have Ruth Courtright who says that she that Rucker and Holbrook were at her home on the 30th, not at Sigler's home. Mm -hmm. She goes on to say that for the most part, Rucker was either at work or at home with her from October 1st until November 9th, that he went to work during the day he came home and he was home at night. Right now. This does not certainly does not account for every minute of every day. But what pay, what picture this paints is that the window of time he would have to abduct, murder and rape, and dispose of a body,
2: and also is starting to get to, very small, right? And he also has to have her put somewhere in between that time period, between Thursday and and Monday,
1: correct. And Holbrook's sister, the other guy who was convicted, his sister testified that he was at her wedding on the night of the 31st. So again, the window of time gets smaller for this suspect as well. Right. Okay. So both of these convictions are going to fall apart. Soon after Holbrook and Rucker were convicted, Susan Sigler was convicted herself. She was convicted of filing a false rape claim. Looks like the state of Ohio has now learned what was already said about Sigler at the trial, that this was in fact correct, that she is not to be believed. She's not credible. She lies, and she is not to be believed.
2: Well, and she was also the only eyewitness in um, the trial that I was up for, the Long Dong murders. She's the only eyewitness, so they threw that out. I know people were wondering how I got off.
1: Well, then it was also discovered that she lied on her marriage license. This is a, (laughs) this is a state document, right? This is a legal state document. Uh, she claimed that she had only had one prior husband who was deceased when actually she had four ex-husbands, all of them still alive. And what What's funny about lying on her marriage license. I'm sorry. About only. So her, her statement on her marriage license is she had one prior husband and he's deceased. Right. right. Yet at the trial for Rucker, two of her ex-husbands testified that she was a liar.
2: Right. Oh my God. This lady is a mess. She's such a mess. Oh. Okay, so
1: the other witness, Curtis Maynard. Oh, my face hurts. He is the one that we both agreed had the more detailed, the more damning testimony against both of these individuals. Yeah. He is one of the two witnesses that recanted his testimony. Yeah. He said and he claims that he was pressured and threatened by Stark County detectives to point the finger at Rucker and Holbrook for Tina's murder. Maynard, who, according to records, has an IQ of 71, went on to have his attorney file a 48-page report. This was a sworn statement stating that deputies threatened to have him jailed unless he implicated Rucker and Holbrook. Maynard alleged that he was paid $10 and promised that a petty theft and a pending probation violation in Medina County would be dropped in return for specific testimony. I can't speak directly about the $10 bribe.
2: I've done worse things for 10 bucks.
1: The jail time threat or the alleged favors for favors. However, according to the courts and sworn statements given to county detectives, Maynard gave five different stories regarding what he witnessed and what was said to him. In fact, much of these statements would directly contradict the other statements.
2: So he was Jesse Miss Kelly before Jesse Miss Kelly was Jesse Miss Kelly.
1: Yeah. And then listen to this. Mm. One statement implicated Rutger and Holbrook, the two guys that were tried and convicted, but it also implicated two other people, Mm. one of which was Susan Sigler. (laughs) Oh, my God. And he also went on to say that the fourth person, who I, I will not name because we know it's not, this right. is not a credible account. He was named in the paper, which I felt bad for him, but uh, it, it was claimed in this statement, which we know not to be true, that he was involved in in the rape of this little girl as well. Mm. So, what you're seeing here is, I mean, it's really. Let's
2: put that, it's almost like law enforcement thought, okay, we have, a, maybe they had a couple credible eyewitnesses that thought they saw two men that look like these two individuals. And then we have to build a case around it. Okay. We get this known liar. Well, she's probably not going to hold up, but if we could get her friend to say a little bit more, cause he's not the brightest candle we have a case then and like, and that's what we, we said yesterday, you throw out everybody's eyewitness testimony. Doesn't matter. You stay with Maynard's. You can still get a guilty charge.
1: So luckily Herman Rucker was granted a new trial. Yeah. He was acquitted by a jury on June 16th of 1983 And we always know how these things seem to work. And this is no, this is, this of course is a shot at the state of Ohio. However, we've seen this go on in just about every other state. It makes no damn sense. But Ernest Holbrook saw he was looking for a new trial as well. But oddly enough, his requests were repeatedly denied. So he remained in prison. That's so dumb. Eventually, Holbrook's conviction was set aside and the charges against him were dismissed. This was in May of 1984, the following year. So both Rucker and Holbrook were either in jail or prison from February 1982 until the time of their release dates. One in June of 83 and the other in May of May of 84. So Holbrook spent over two years in either jail or prison for a crime He was simply accused of, but did not commit Curtis Maynard later. This is bizarre too. Curtis Maynard later was convicted of perjury for his false testimony and he spent 13 months in prison.
2: Yeah. I have an issue with that because it's almost like law enforcement forced the perjury.
1: Yeah. It looks to me like, uh, Susan Sigler put him up to it and then Mm -hmm. the, the County detectives twisted his arm into saying what they wanted. And accusations aside, what we see here is what we've seen in several other cases that are similar to this. He gives five different statements. Why? Because he gives a statement that is false because he he doesn't know anything about the crime. He's not a witness to anything in real life. Right. And when it doesn't match up with some of the evidence and some of the known facts of the crime— the detectives need him to write a new statement.
2: Right. But that's when the detectives need to not be goat turds and to do the right thing and step away and you, say, "Hey, look, this guy's story is not matching. We 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 can't make it fit." Right. And it's sad how how often they don't step away. They don't do the right thing. They're they think they're doing the right thing cuz they're trying to get justice for this little girl.
1: Well, and then you have to factor in as well. We have the two witnesses that say, I'll clean this up and give a little more detail here. But the two female witnesses that say that they saw a a girl in a vehicle with two men and she appeared to be struggling. It was a mother and daughter. And I don't know which one, but one of them recanted their testimony as well. But if you want to take that a step further, you also have to figure out what's going on here. When they told, when they offered up this tip to the police that led them to Rucker and Holbrook through Susan Sigler, they simply gave a description of the men of the girl and the vehicle. They didn't say Holbrook and Rucker did this. It was not until after Holbrook and Rucker were arrested that they're now able to pick them out of a photo lineup. You see, cuz police didn't have those photos to put in the lineup until the arrest was made. Right. There's a chance they could have seen these guys pictures on in the paper by the time they're they're picking them out of a photo lineup.
2: Yeah, or what we've seen from a, you know, a famous documentary making a murder where they shown those pictures before the lineup by law enforcement. That's not of a out a left field accusation because we already know that they heard eyewitness testimony that didn't make any sense and then kept working with that individual to get their statements to line up with the evidence that they did have
1: we went through a lot of stuff here two trials three actually three trials nobody got anything right everything was wrong people spent time in jail and prison that didn't need to And then we send this guy off to prison for perjury. I don't totally agree with that either. So we are right back where we started here, Captain, an unsolved homicide with no suspects. while your subscription is active.
2: Cheers, mates, wherever you're listening, whether you're listening at home or you're listening at work. Cheers to everyone and cheers to
1: you, Colonel. Cheers to you, Captain. On July 17th, 1982, Krista Harrison was snatched from a baseball field across the street from her home. This is going on while all this circus is going on trying to convict these two guys, Rucker and Holbrook. So Krista Harrison is taken from this baseball field. This is across the street from her home captain She was there collecting cans with a 12-year-old friend. His name is Roy. Mm -hmm. Roy later told police that around 5 p.m., a dark-colored van pulled into the park. The van had bubble-shaped windows, black seats, and a roof vent.
2: Yeah, those bubble-shaped windows were real popular in the
1: 70s. Yeah, this is early 80s, so if you look up pictures of Rucker, who we've already talked about, he's wearing like a leisure suit when he goes to court. As the captain said, this is not like a minivan. Back then this would have been a regular size van, a little bit bigger than a minivan, but these bubble windows, usually they were tinted. Yeah. And they they would bubble out from the sides of the van. Yeah, and they were very popular in the late 70s and maybe even early eighties
2: Yeah, tinted or normally filled with weed smoke. But, uh, if you look at Harrison, she could be a cousin or a sister of Tina Harmon.
1: Yes. They both are about the same age. Now, according to Roy, the driver climbed out and approached Krista. The man was white and said to have looked to be about 25 to maybe 35 years of age. He was skinny with a mustache and had dark hair, dark brown hair that curled near his shoulders. Roy said that the man looked Italian. The man said something to Krista. Roy could not hear what was said. Krista then went over and sat on some bleachers. This would be, you know, facing the baseball diamond. The man then sat down next to Krista. He's talking to her and apparently he reached over underneath her blouse. Then Krista started to cry. The man again, whispered something to the girl. Roy again, could not hear what was said, but at this point, Krista walked to the man's van, opened the driver's side door, climbed in the vehicle, sat down between the front bucket seats, I guess, he, I guess she's sitting on the floor at this point. Uh-huh. The man then climbed in as well, and he leaned out the window and said something to the effect of, bye, Roy. And then he pulled the van out onto the road and then sped away. That's the long version of what went down that day at the park. There is a shorter version that comes from another witness. This would be a little girl, female witness who says that she believes that she saw a brown or purple colored van matching the same description that Roy gave with the the bubble windows. She thought that she saw the man grab Krista and drag her into the van. Mm -hmm. I cannot explain to you, captain or anybody else, why we would have two different accounts of what took place that day My guess, it might be simply vantage point. We're talking about a park. We could have one witness much further away than Roy, who seems to have a more detailed story. He then runs home and explains what he saw.
2: But he's saying that this perpetrator said, bye, Roy.
1: Yeah, he thought that the man said to him, bye, Roy, or goodbye, Roy. Which is weird because it's not anybody that he recognizes. We can tell that by his given description of the man. He's simply describing the man. If he knew the guy, he'd say it was John that did this. Right. He's frightened, like visibly shaken when police show up to take his report. I also wonder if there's a certain level of shock factor involved here for both of these witnesses. Both of these witnesses would be 11, 12 year old kids. This is bizarre because you have this situation that is much, much different than the Tina Harmon situation. Tina Harmon, she just kind of vanished. She kind of disappeared. No one said that they saw her screaming or getting pulled into a truck or a van or that they saw her leave with any particular person in this situation We have what is clearly an abduction, and it's known to be an abduction right when it goes down. Mm -hmm. There's no question about it. So you have a different response that's going to come with this. Police are on, of course, high alert. They're going to be looking for Krista, the van, and this man. So they offer up a description, and a composite sketch is put in the paper. There's actually... Two of them, two composite sketches of, you know, slightly slight variations of the same man. But they're going to be looking for this man, for Krista and for the van. Also, at this same time, because it's known, it's a known abduction. Police are also thinking that they might receive some kind of ransom request. Right. Of course, they're going to do their due diligence. They're going to monitor the phone lines for the family at their home and sadly no ransom request comes in and now we have an abduction that the hours are going by the days start to go by
2: like you said maybe it is a good thing to know from the onset that this is abduction so we can take it with a certain level of seriousness but also uh, a certain level of there's a time frame and the, this we need to be searching for her and to find evidence uh, right away.
1: Yeah. It was not until six days later that they're going to find her remains, sadly. And by this point, captain, the remains were in advanced stage of decomposition. The body was discovered This was just off of a a road that's not Mm well-traveled. This was discovered by, I believe, a a turtle trapper. Somebody was going out to either check their traps or set up traps.
2: That's one of my hobbies on on Facebook. It says interest, turtle trapper.
1: What is bizarre here is that there's, it's listed in the papers as that her body was found either next to or inside of an abandoned garage. And I thought, I always thought with this case, how weird mm-hmm. to have it's either beside or inside of this abandoned garage. Now, the way that I was able to clean this up was I was able to find one source that that stated that the body was actually located inside the abandoned garage However, it was it was a rather large structure and it had no door because I always found it to be weird that this turtle trapper guy would just, you know, quote unquote, stumble across a body if it were inside of this structure. Mm -hmm. So I believe that what we have here is that he probably spotted something funny, spotted something weird and went in to investigate. There's no large garage door door. On one side of the structure, finds the body of Krista Lee Harrison. Yeah, or possibly as said, it's an advanced stage of decomposition at this time.
2: Well, and possibly, you know, the smell led him there.
1: Yeah, and I guess that there were there was all kinds of like trash and discarded items in the area as well. Now. I'm not super familiar with this area. This was a, as said, a scarcely traveled road in Holmes County, Ohio. So maybe this is an area where people litter or things like this would collect. But there were a lot of items that were found around her body.
2: Like always, whatever pictures we have of the case, we will be posting on Instagram. So follow us on Instagram at true crime Garage but when you when you take a look at this garage it kind of looks similar to our logo. Uh, obviously it doesn't have a door on it, but it's it's very beat up, very run down.
1: Yeah, and so a better description here is the body was found at about 7:30 p.m. on a Friday in an abandoned garage on Washington Township Road 464. This is described as a dirt residential road that Runs its way through cornfields, thick portions of woods, turtle ponds, and this is in northwestern Holmes County. So it makes sense that this turtle trapper would be in the area. What was weird, too, here, Captain, was that uh, an eyewitness says that they saw a man in this general area around this you know, abandoned garage who left in a vehicle, mm. and this would have been the morning of when her body was discovered. Her body was discovered at 7.30 p.m. that night.
2: It was the vehicle a van?
1: No, it was a car. Uh, vague description. It was listed as a Caucasian male in his 20s or 30s, and he was in a car. Mm. I the a, a better description of of the car, I could not find. What is weird here Okay, so when they do the autopsy and when they're when they're scanning the crime scene, the dump site, they start to put together a lot of stuff real quickly. They're able to figure a bunch of things out. First of all, the autopsy, it was discovered that they believe the victim was killed relatively quickly after the time that she was abducted. Krista Harrison. One issue that they had with the autopsy itself was actually identifying the body. It was in such of a advanced stage of decomposition that it was difficult to identify the body. Now, horrifically, what the parents and the family had to see in the paper for three days, usually when you have these types of situations A body's discovered and it's within about 24 hours. They're saying we've made a positive identification of the remains here. It was for three days that they could not determine if 100% it was Krista Harrison or not. This is by both visual identification, but also methods that are more scientific and we'll get into that. But what the parents had to hear for three days on the radio, on TV and in the paper was that at that time, all they could say it was a female victim. It was believed to be Krista Harrison and the remains were clothed, wearing the same clothing that Krista Harrison was wearing when she was abducted from the park. Right. And this is listed as a a pair of shorts and a white and blue football Jersey like shirt. So horrific for the parents for three days, they have to hope and pray. It's not our girl.
2: Right. But everything says it is.
1: Yeah. Everything's pointing to that. It is her and where we have the delay is because it took some time to get dental records. And once they were there with the victim and then the comparison, it just took a little bit of time more so than, than usual. Regarding the other information that they were easily able to figure out was that the body was in a advanced state of decomposition because the victim had been wrapped inside of a plastic bag. This would be like a large, I'm guessing probably larger than trash can, normal trash can size Mm -hmm. trash bag. But after death, the body was placed in this plastic bag. And they believe that that must have been stored somewhere hot for several days because they had information, scientific information. And I can't point to exactly what, but they believe the victim to have been killed shortly after the abduction. Mind you, six days go by before the victim is found. The body is found. They had evidence, too, that suggested she was placed there where she was found that same day within 24-hour time period. We also have the eyewitness saying, I saw a man leaving that area that morning. Right. So you have further evidence that possibly was placed there that morning and then found that night at 730. So they say that the victim must have been, the body must have been in a hot place stored in a hot location for a period of days inside of that plastic bag mm-hmm. they actually believed that it was probably most likely a the trunk of a vehicle because keep in mind this is this is july right. it's going to be hot and they were able to determine that the remains were inside that plastic bag for that entire the entirety of that time until whomever disposed of the body, drug the body from the trunk of, the, of a vehicle, you know, through the grass and the weeds and in a little brief period of field, and then placed it inside of that abandoned garage. They were able to determine this because there were drag marks on the remains itself. There were drag marks on the ground and the plastic bag started to come off of the remains. Mm. They also located several other items of interest in the area. So, of course, the, the bag is going to be of interest to investigators. But they also found a Budweiser towel, a bloody car seat box, okay. a wad of the victim's hair. They found gloves, a plaid shirt, and a pair of jeans were found in the vicinity of the dump site.
2: Well, and like you said, there are so many items that were around this area. I'm guessing there was some kind of forensic work to to be done to to determine that these were actual pieces of evidence.
1: Yes. Yeah. It, to make sure, you know, you separate just debris and litter from actual items of value to your investigation what was really bizarre here captain was a statement that they the law enforcement put in the papers at the time they said that the the clothing the shirt and the jeans or the pants that they could not say for certain that they belonged to the girl's killer mm-hmm. but they could say that they belonged to the person that that placed the body in that location
2: right because we we think the descriptions of this individual are the same, but obviously he was in a different vehicle, so he could have paid somebody to dispose of the body or or was in cahoots with somebody.
1: Yeah, so some very interesting stuff here. I don't know how they could determine that the clothing belonged to the person that placed her there, but could not say that it belonged to her actual killer. Mm-hmm. But... What you have here, Captain, is almost, uh, it's a, a complete dump site where we're now going to try to hide and conceal the remains of the victim, and the perpetrator's also like dumping items that were involved in the the crimes itself, clothing, this, this car seat box, a pair of gloves.
2: It's almost like the killer just disposed of the victim and then disposed of any evidence that they had on
1: them everything that that, that he thought had to do with the crime i'm going to get rid of that as well i don't know why a perpetrator wouldn't take the extra time to place these items elsewhere mm-hmm. it seems a little counterintuitive, intuitive or counterproductive to to the the purpose of concealing the body but maybe they thought that none of these items would be found or that they wouldn't be found for a good deal of time. Or maybe this witness, the person that says that they thought they saw a man in a car leaving that area, maybe that witness spooked the perpetrator or the person that dumped the body and they were rushed out of the area. Right. So let's go through some of the things that were found at the scene here, Captain. Because- yeah,
2: from the litter bug.
1: Correct. So first, we know 100%. It's a little questionable about these other items, right? But we know for a fact immediately Mm -hmm. that this bag is part of the investigation. It's evidence in this investigation because they could tell that she was in this bag and then dragged to this spot in the garage.
2: So he used the bag as a way to transport the body.
1: Yeah, and probably an attempt to hide the smell a little bit to, and, and also, you know, evidence will fall off of this body. You don't mm-hmm. want it falling off in the trunk of your vehicle. And this bag, they can confirm that it's related to the crime. 100% because it's shown it's found in a state of, of where it's falling apart because she was dragged to this spot. So part of the bag is still on the remains when the body is located. Now, this bag apparently was pretty unique in the sense that it had a certain pattern and thickness to it that were not common to just your standard trash bag. The bag itself was traced to a uh, having been manufactured at a factory in Pioneer, Ohio. These types of bags were used for packaging material. And packaged for uh, car seats and such. Mm -hmm. What was interesting was they were also able to determine that this type of packaging was only used on black vehicle seats, on black car seats.
2: Mm. I wonder how they were able to determine that.
1: Maybe the the manufacturer that made the car seats only made them in one color, black. Oh, there you go. Used this type of packaging, sold them. But what's interesting about that is we have our witness, Roy, who says, not only was it a dark colored van, but I could see the tops of the seats from my vantage point and the, the seats were black in color. Right. So this is all starting to match up. And these seats these vehicle seats were sold through the old Sears company. They were only available for a period of time, a short period of time. Now the, the box, we mentioned the box, what they were able to determine about this piece of cardboard box is that it contained the victim's blood.
2: What's in the box? What's in the box?
1: So here again, immediately we know this is connected to our crime. This is going to be further evidence. That type of box was again, part of packaging for these types of seats.
2: Right. So these are like seat covers.
1: Correct. So they're starting to wonder like whoever used this material to conceal the body and then dump the body. They either were a purchaser of these types of seats or had access to this these materials at a later date after somebody else purchased the seats. Right. What they discovered was only about uh, 23, 24 people in Northern Ohio, which is the area of the crimes, had purchased this type of car seat. The problem here is... When they go to look into this, they got, you know, about two dozen people to look at. None of them own a vehicle that matched the abductor vehicle description.
2: Yeah, so this is really fascinating to me because both crimes, um, the the Harrison crime.
1: And the Harmon crime.
2: And the Harman crime both crimes were about 15 miles away and very similar, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, a remote road dumping of the body, but not trying to bury the body, not trying to really hide the body that well. But what we have is in the one case, we have two guys on trial and they were convicted. Yeah. And so people in this community had to be thinking, One, it's happening again, or two, they got the wrong guys behind bars because this seems like a a serial murder.
1: Yeah, you have crimes that are taking place within a, a time period of less than a year from one another. Right. Within 15 miles, roughly, of the two, you know, you compare the abduction of Harrison to the last known sighting of Harmon you and the victimology is the same. They're the same age. They're girls. And there, we have the same situation of one went missing. One went, uh, was abducted and there's a period of days before the remains are found.
2: But I also believe if we think that Harmon went missing from the truck stop. Mm-hmm. What is the truck stop? A highly, highly trafficked area. Mm-hmm. We have people in the area. This person that took Harmon has no fear of being seen. What do we have in the Harrison case? Not only was this individual that took Harrison not afraid of being seen, he also said, "Bye, Roy." Yeah, he See may you have later. said
1: something to one of the witnesses.
2: I mean this is um a predator that you do not want out on the loose this is this is an individual that is not uh, afraid of taking his chances to to get a victim
1: so picture this if you're someone in this area and you're you know smart individual Like many of our listeners, you're going, okay, victimology is the same, location's the same, within a year of one another, similar type crimes. These got to be connected. However, well, they can't be because two guys are on trial for the first one. They're both locked up at the time of when Krista Harrison is abducted from the park. Right. And then you start hearing that two people are going to recant their testimony that convicted one of the guys And you're going, a similar crime happened while these two were locked up? There's something very strange going on here.
2: And like I said, you could put a picture of these two girls side by side. They could be sisters, cousins. I mean, very similar as far as victimology.
1: Shortly after Krista Harrison's body was found, a $10,000 reward was placed for information regarding the abductor remember we have the composite sketch in the newspapers at the time of the man that police believe abducted krista harrison from the park sadly even with this money being offered up and a composite sketch in the papers they're not getting any leads of use at this time
2: For everything True Crime Garage, make sure you go to the website truecrimegarage.com. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at True Crime Garage.
1: This week, Captain, I wanted to recommend to everyone our show off the record. A little recommended listening, if you will. The only way to get off the record is to get Stitcher Premium. And this is something that we don't dive into too much here, but... You're getting a lot when you sign up for Stitcher Premium. One, you're getting our bonus show, which comes out every other week. Once in a while, we throw you even an extra bonus. But you're also getting the whole back catalog for Off the Record, which is over 116 episodes. And you're not just getting True Crime Garage Off the Record. You're getting all of the wonderful shows on Stitcher Premium. Plus, you get True Crime Garage ad-free check out off the record you're going to love it join us back here in the garage next week for parts three and four of when the demons came out
2: and until then be good be kind and don't wither